and 30. Um, I want to make one quick announcement, and that is if you ever have to miss during the teaching time, you can go to watermark.org backslash women, scroll all the way down, and you'll find the teachings each and every week um, from Wednesday morning. So that is great resource, or if there's something like you, like, what was that again, or I, I didn't write that down, and I want to, so you know that you can always go there. You can always go there and... Um, get the teaching from each and every week, watermark.org backslash women. Um, okay, I'm going to open us up with prayer, and Nike is going to teach us today. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that we can be here today. We thank you for the freedom to meet in a great place that you've provided, and Father, we just, um, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true and that it is as relevant today as it was back then. We thank you for Nika and her preparation. Father, I just pray that you would give her clarity of thought, that the words that you have given her as she is prepared will come out loud and clear to each one of us. And Lord, we're in awe that each one of us can walk away with a different message, even though she says the same words. So teach us today, Lord. Open our hearts. Help us to clear out the things um, outside of this room, things of home or things of um, work. And Lord, just help us to focus on you. Thank you for Nika. Just bless her words and draw us closer to you for life change. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, you, can, you can be sure that that prayer was answered because Elizabeth prayed it, and there's not a more faithful prayer warrior on this team. So uh, not as faithful, but also equally entertaining is, is Lucina, who's down the front row here. And one of the things I love about <laughs> Lucina... <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just kidding. But one of the things I love about Lucy, Lucy and I are actually very similar. Uh, starts from the blonde hair and goes all the way down. And one of the things I love about Lucina is Lucina and I, although we claim to be Christian women, have no shame when it comes to the movies we're willing to admit that we've seen. And so one of the ones that Lucina has quoted from this stage that I'm going to quote from this stage this morning is Dumb and Dumber. And so that movie came out when I was a kid. And I recently rewatched it because I'm going to Aspen. And one of my friends is going with me and another friend of ours is like, oh, are you going to take the Vespa? And I immediately start laughing and my other friend's like, oh, I don't really understand that joke. And if you don't get that joke, you haven't seen the movie. And if you haven't seen the movie, God loves you more. And, but if you've seen the movie, you know why that's funny. And so you're like, oh, okay. And so I just tell this girl, I'm like, hey, you have to see this movie because I'm going to quote lines from it constantly, right? Y- y'all know the line, the famous line from that one? He's talking about where the beer flows like wine and the women instinctively flock like the salmon of Capistrano. I'm talking about a little place called called Aspen. You know what I'm talking about? So I'm like, you have to know why these lines are funny. Otherwise, they're just completely weird. So half of you are like, oh, yeah. And the other half are like, it's getting weird. It's getting weird. But there's this really iconic moment in the movie as I'm making my friend watch it. And I'm like, she's barely paying attention because she loves Jesus more than I do. And I'm like, okay, but you have to watch this scene. And it's this one right here where Lloyd is fed up with his life, okay? He's just completely fed up. And he's just like, we've got no food. We've got no jobs. And our pets' heads are falling off. The only reason I'm even telling you this story is just because that's what I would title today's lesson. The Egyptians are at a point where they're like, our pets' heads are falling off. And then I figured it'd be a good opportunity to throw Lucina under the bus because she thinks the movie's as funny as I do. Hear me say this, and Lucina, if she were on stage, would tell you the same thing. We do not endorse that movie. Do not watch that movie. That movie is crass. (laughs) We both watched it before we were believers, maybe. (laughs) Probably not. Probably not. 
but yeah, that's what's going on if you caught that as you read your assignment today. Things are going from bad to badder if we're going to stick with the theme of dumb and dumber. And so where we've been, I thought Lucina did an incredible job last week of explaining the first five plagues. One, how God was systematically dismantling their idols, and he was also increasing the level and the severity of the plagues. And so we, we see very much a continuation of that today. And so we get to the sixth plague um, where it's going to be the, the boils, the plague. Some people even compare it to anthrax of the skin. I've never had anthrax. I hope to never have anthrax, but I remember when anthrax was scary, right? You wouldn't open any envelopes that were, you know, unaddressed. You didn't know where they came from because we were scared that terrorists were mailing anthrax to the mail. And so I imagine this was pretty awful. And so Moses comes to Pharaoh and he looks right at Pharaoh and then he does LeBron James, you know, with the chalk and he just throws it up in the air. And you guys read in your, in your book that it typically when suit would fall on somebody in the Egyptian culture, it was thought of as a blessing and meant it like a good thing. And so here's Moses taking this cultural norm of theirs and saying, no, 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 your, your superstitions, your weird theology, your weird deity, your weird worship, it is not a good thing. And so I'm going to look you dead in the eye, Pharaoh, pull my LeBron James out and show you. And it's interesting. We we hear about the magicians. We haven't heard of them since early on when they got to a point where they're like, uh, Pharaoh, we can't actually duplicate that one. So we're going to, we're going to go ahead and bow out here. And they come back in the picture and what's going on. They are in so much pain. They can't even come stand before Pharaoh. And so, it is an interesting thing that they had power. It is a fascinating thing to me that the magicians were able to do some of the, the miracles. But I want to point out one, they're only to, able to imitate and not in scope and degree, but just in kind. And there's a limit to their imitation and not only that, they can't reverse it. So God's power is infinitely better. It's more powerful and it's greater. And so we see that where the magicians are mentioned here saying they are incapable of reversing what God has instituted here. And so uh, they ain't got game. That's what's going on there. But after the sixth plague, something new happens. Okay, so plague number one happens, and what does it say? Pharaoh hardens his heart. Plague number two, Pharaoh hardens his heart. Plague number three, Pharaoh, and on and on and on. And then all of a sudden we get to, to plague number six. And something really interesting happens in your text. God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Now, this shouldn't come as a surprise to us because in chapter four and in chapter seven, Pharaoh tells Moses, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. But for us in this passage, I will tell you, this is one of the most troubling passages that people have in scripture. In fact, Moses thought it was interesting enough that he mentions it, or not Moses, Paul mentions it in Romans 9. And this is one of those passages that people come to me and go, this is the question. If God hardened Pharaoh's heart, how can Pharaoh then be held culpable for what he's done? And what they're ultimately asking, what's really hidden behind that question is, is God good and is he fair? Which is a fair question, right? Because you guys know I love my niece and nephew more than life itself and they're ornery little kids. They love cookies. And so it'd be like me standing next to them. Their mom says, don't eat the cookie. And I like shove it in Nixon's face. And I'm like, Nixon ate the cookie. So now he's in trouble. But something's wrong with that comparison because the premise there is that Nixon had done nothing wrong prior to that moment. And that's not what's happening in this text. But this text is difficult, and I want to own that today. I get asked this question a lot. So did Pharaoh harden his own heart, or did God harden his own heart? And do you know what I answer to that? Yes. That's the answer, both. And, and some of you are like, that, that doesn't sit well with me. And I just want to, I want to point out something. There are a lot of things in Scripture that our minds are incapable of understanding. We, we know that his ways are above our ways, and I know that I am limited in scope and understanding of a lot of what God does. I know that. We live in a three-dimensional world. I'm not sure heaven's not 20-dimensional. You can't even fathom that, right? And so we have to admit that there are times that God's ways are higher than our ways. And the most time that we see that is anytime divinity and humanity run up against each other, we get mystery. 
This is what one of my seminary professors would say all the time. So how can, how can a man be fully God and fully man? How, how can incomplete, failing human beings produce a perfect book of the Bible? Right? How can we have free will and God be totally sovereign? You know what the answer is? I, I don't know, but God does. And so I, I think you guys have to recognize there is a tension in this text. We're never gonna fully solve this problem. I don't think any theologian has ever fully solved this problem. And I think when you land too heavily on one side or the other, you're not fully appreciating what the text is doing. And so anytime divinity and humanity rub up against each other, we get mystery. But, but... What happens here, and the question that we need to answer, is God good and is God fair? We need to take into consideration what the text also does say. First of all, I wouldn't say this to a non-believer, but you guys are my peeps and you're in the room, and so the first one is this, is we need to recognize, one, that God is creator. It's his role, it's his game, it's his ball. If he wants to take it and go home, it's his prerogative. And so God has already explained to these people, hey, I am Yahweh, I am creator, I am powerful. And he comes before Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, you need to obey me and let my people go. And what does Pharaoh say? Who is Yahweh? And he doesn't mean I don't know you. He means who are you to tell me what to do? And so I wouldn't tell a non-believer like, hey, it's God's rules, so either get in line or get out, right? Because it's a little harsh. But as believers, there has to be this understanding that at the end of the day, he's the boss. And this is something we accept in, in the world all the time. Right? We, we all have bosses, and sometimes we disagree with them, but we're like, well, that's kind of the way it goes. Why? Because they're the boss, right? And so we have no problem understanding that in a parent-child relationship, in a boss-employee um, relationship, but when it comes to God, at times we're like, God, why aren't you playing by my rules? And Pharaoh wants God to succumb to his rules, and that's just not how it's going to go. And so one, we need to understand that Pharaoh's already saying, it's my way or the highway, and God's going, no, 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 no. I invented the highway. It's my way. The second point we have to take into consideration is that Pharaoh is unlike kings that have come before him. We know from the book of Genesis that there were times when, when Pharaoh would take in either Sarah or Rebekah, the wives of the patriarchs, and bring them into his harem. And then it, God reveals to them, hey, this is not a single woman. And he repents. Oh my word, what have I done? How could you do this to me? I don't want to cause this trouble. And he sends them back on their way with riches in tow. This Pharaoh had the opportunity to respond in kind. God comes to him with a warning, hey, let my people go. And what does he do? He gives them the proverbial finger. He doesn't relent like the other Pharaohs. The third point that you have to take into consideration is that plagues one through five happen without God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh had opportunity. He had opportunity. And so what happens is innately people go, how is Pharaoh culpable? And I'm like, I just wanna make sure you understand that you're attempting to defend the Pharaoh who would put people in oppressive slavery, who would tell God, I don't know you, who would reject Moses, who would lie to his face and make broken promises. That's the guy that you're worried is getting the bad hand. So I just wanna be very clear that that's the guy you're defending. Because what's really going on in this story is it's not that there was this soft-hearted Pharaoh who's like, God, I'll do whatever you want. God's like, well, I'm gonna use you as a prop in my game, so 10 plagues are coming. No, what is happening here is when it says that God hardens Pharaoh's heart, he's intensifying a condition that already marks Pharaoh. Pharaoh is already opposed to God. And sometimes the consequence for sin is God allows that to play out to its natural consequence. Sometimes the, the consequence for sin is that God allows that to play out to its natural consequence. And so God comes to Pharaoh, he gives him an opportunity. Pharaoh does not relent and God says, okay, then I'm going to use you for my good and for my glory. And so when you get to passages like this and people ask you, how can God be good? How can God be just? It's important to remember that Pharaoh was not an innocent man. And this is the judgment for his guilt. 
Now it's interesting, we're gonna see this point where, where God is gonna continue the plagues and he says at one point, you know, I could have just smited you then. And this, this exchange between Pharaoh and God is the longest exchange we really have in scripture between God and, and opposition. It's really interesting. If you look, most of his foes don't last that long. In fact, in the end, when Jesus comes down and we bind up the enemy and he eventually takes him out, there's this massive war that's all coming in the end. And you know what Jesus does? He kills them with the breath of his mouth. God's not impotent. It's not that he can't kill Pharaoh. There's something that he's doing here. And what he's doing is God's revealing his identity. Yahweh is revealing his identity. Pharaoh, you won't relent, so I will use your stubborn, stiff-necked self to reveal myself to the world. I will prop up your idols and I will dismantle them. I will show them that I am Yahweh, that I am good, that I am powerful, that I'm capable. You gotta remember, these are a people group that have been slaved for 400 years. They're all wondering, who is Yahweh? And if God just Pharaoh's gone, you guys walk out. Well, they learn he's powerful, but do they know he's kind? They know he's powerful, but do they know that he's bigger and better than other gods? If, if he's powerful, maybe he's just a powerful God, but no, he's demonstrating to them, I am the powerful God, greater than anything you've ever worshiped, greater than anything that you set up as an idol, and I will protect you. When I bring judgment on them, I will keep you in the land of Goshen. I will keep you far from my judgments. He's revealing himself to them. And it's an incredible moment for the Israelites to learn about God's character. And that same moment is provided for us today because of the word that's been preserved for us. And so I hope as we've walked through these plagues that you've seen a bit of God's character in that and you've liked what you've seen. This isn't some unjust, mean God who's taking it out on this soft-hearted Pharaoh who's like, I didn't have a choice. No, he had a choice. But it got to a point where God said, your choice is now gone. And I will use you to reveal myself to these people. So, the next question is, is where are we gonna go from here, right? And, and one of the things that we're gonna see is there's a transition that you guys probably noted in your book that in 9, 14 through 17, we go from bad to badder, right? We finally get to this point, and, and I'm telling you that this is the point at which God says, okay, Pharaoh, no more. And, and, and God says, now I'm not playing. Because if you notice in the first six uh, plagues, what happens is they come and they're horrific and, and, and uh, Lucina did a great job of explaining how long they would take, but they eventually all went away. They eventually all went away. And so you might be like, yeah, there was this time where frogs, they were like in my pillowcase, but I don't, I don't have any more frogs now, so I'm okay. And you're like, man, there was this time when the gnats were everywhere, it was gross. I had to like live in this like little encasing, but they're not here anymore. And now God's like, no, no, this is where judgment's coming you have been able to withstand these plagues and I've been systematically taking down your idols, but now I'm showing you my power and showing you that I'm greater and I'm putting an end to this idol worship. And so we get the first one that comes along and uh, he's taking on the Egyptian idols of fire and water in this hailstorm. They, they had this temple called Serapis and they would come in and the way they would worship is through fire and water. Um, I've never been to Egypt, but I went to like geography class like four times in college. And so... I'm aware that it's a desert. It's a desert, right? Yeah, okay, all right, good. Uh, did my research. Okay, imagine telling people hail is coming in Egypt. Now, there are some scholars who think hailstorms come from time to time, but this is not a normal thing, right? I, I mean, it's like saying there's a hurricane storming, brewing over White Rock. We'd be like, nah, that's a tornado. <laughs> you are confused. But God is saying, I'm not playing anymore. These gods that you worship, I'm gonna use the very thing that you believe is their worship and I'm going to rain it down on you in such severe form that it's no longer people are getting boils and pain. It's no longer that there are gnats and you're uncomfortable. It's no longer that the earth stinks. Things are gonna die. 
things are gonna die. And so, so it's interesting though, I wanna point out two things that happen in this though, is that one, God allows some Egyptians to be spared. In the midst of his judgment on Egypt, the same guys and gals who brutally enslaved his people, he allows for some of them to be spared. What kind of God does that? Only a kind one, only a kind one. And so one, that's what happens. And then two, I want you to notice that Moses moves about without being harmed. There's a hailstorm coming in and Pharaoh's like, bring him in. And Moses is like, what's up? And I'd be like, how'd you get here? <laughs> Was there like a really thick umbrella that you had? Because everything out there is dying. And Moses comes in and he's like, okay, I'm gonna pray for this to pass, but I'm not gonna do it here. I'm gonna leave the city, AKA I'm gonna walk through your town unaffected by your hail. You know why? Because Pharaoh, this isn't my hail, this is your hail. I don't worship your God of fire and water. I don't worship your God, Serapis, so I can walk about freely because my God, my God protects me. My God, my God's not mad at me because I am faithfully following Yahweh, so I have no fear of the judgment that's coming on you. And y'all, there's a day coming in our country when this may be a reality for us. And I'm not saying that hail and fire are gonna rain down from heaven, but it may be that our country is laid waste at some point. And I want you to know that you can walk freely with the peace of God that Moses has because he knows he follows the one true God. So Moses walks out and, and he prays and God sends it away. And so you can imagine now they're like, okay, that one, that one hurt. My cattle are gone. My, my people in the field are gone. You know, the, the plants are gone, but there might've even been just some people there who are like, yeah, but the wheat's still coming, right? We know the hail only kills one of the crops. And so you can imagine like, well, it's okay. We still have one crop. And so God says, no, you don't. No, you don't. Here come the locusts. And the locusts wipe everything out. This is the point at which their pets' heads are falling off. Yeah, and this is the point at which Pharaoh's officials come to him and he goes, don't you get it? We've been ruined. Don't, don't you get it? Like your stubbornness, your stiffness, you've ruined us. Why are they still here? What is left for God, their God to take? Pharaoh, don't you get it? And Pharaoh doesn't get it. He, he doesn't get it. He is hell-bent on destroying himself by, by standing up against an unmovable force that is Yahweh. So this is the point at which you can go, hey, God is not playing with Egypt anymore. He's done. And it's interesting, if you look at the records of, of, of history, we get to a point where we know a lot about the pharaohs and the dynasties prior to this moment. And then in about the 1400s, when we believe the Exodus happened, we have no more Egyptian history. You know why? Because there's nothing to write. We have no more livestock. We have no more plants. We're now in a famine. The, we, there's no need for slaves to be here. There is no straw for them to make bricks. Pharaoh, what are you doing? Any man in his right mind can see we are ruined. Let them go. And he doesn't. And so God says, okay, I'm gonna ratchet it up one more time. And this time God goes after the idol of all idols. The big God in Egyptian culture was the sun God, Ra or Re, depending on how you wanna pronounce it. And God's like, this is the one that you think is the, is the guy. This is your Zeus. This is your whatever. Hey, fellas, I got something to tell you. I control the sun. I make it rise and I make it fall. I will bring it up or I will keep it away. And you can imagine if you're an Egyptian, you wake up and suddenly you're like, Where's the sun? 7 a.m., 8 a.m. I'm actually not up at those hours, so I have no idea if the sun's up or not. But it's up when I get up, so that's good. And they don't have watches, so I just wanna be very clear. At least not wrist watches. 
Yeah. And then what does the text say? It's a darkness that can be felt. All is lost. The one God, there's Zeus, the big guy, the one that they're like, no, that's the guy. Yeah, yeah, the frog God, okay, yeah, sure. The fly God, all right, yeah. The, the cow God, sure. Even Ra bows to this God? It's interesting, it says there's no light to be found in their land and some scholars believe that God did not even allow them to create lamps or to create oil, to create anything. It's almost as if they are frozen in this heavy darkness that they cannot move about in and I bet some of you have felt this in a spiritual way. I just want you to know that the same God who controls that light then is the same God who sent his son into the world to give you light. That his son is the radiant glory of God and that he provides light wherever he goes. And so if you're in this darkness, there is hope for you. There's a bright light that is yours if you want it. After this, uh, we're gonna move on next week to, to Passover. And that's obviously, you, you, can, you can mess with my gods, but you don't mess with my kid. And we're gonna see that happen next week. But the big question is, is, you guys are like, well, this was the most depressing one she's ever given us. Uh, yeah, because their, heads, their pets' heads are falling off. And so I wanna just take a moment though to explain to you why this is happening and why I'll let you linger in the darkness. Because if you walk away from this story, you could walk away from this and go, God's really angry and he's not messing around. And that is true. But there's also something else happening right now. There's a kindness in what God is doing. It is God's kindness that dismantles their idols. You know how I know this? Because when you worship an idol, it leads to death. When you worship anything other than the one true God, it cannot end well for you because they're ultimately impotent. They don't have what you, know you need most. They don't have love and grace and mercy and the ability to save your soul. So anything other than God that you might be tempted to worship or that you do worship, it would be kind for God to remove. He's about to take the Israelites out of this land and he's gonna ask them to go to Cana and they're gonna have to fight. They're gonna have to go to war. An enslaved people group who probably aren't sharp on their sword skills are now gonna walk into a land and they've gotta trust God. They're gonna walk through the desert. They're not gonna have food. They're gonna come up against enemies. They're gonna come up against hardship and they need to know that the God they're following is more powerful than Ra. Cause so what that the sun came up? I'm still standing in front of a foe. And that frog, although cute, not gonna help me. I need to know that the God I'm following is powerful and loves me and can spare me and will provide for all of my needs. And so God has to show them, I'm the one you follow. To follow anything else would be to, for total destruction for yourself. I wonder if God were to come down to America today, what it would look like. What would the plagues today look like? Right? And I asked my friends, what are those, what are those things? And, and, and one of the things I wanna help you understand is the idols back then are weird to us. I don't, I've never worshiped frogs, I've never worshiped cow, but, but I'm also not in an agrarian culture. I get my food at Target. So, the, I mean, like I might worship like a cooler. I'd be like, okay, cool, my food doesn't go bad, but, but no, maybe a microwave, because I don't have time to cook. But, I, but that's not, but, but what's going on here is I wanna point out idols are oftentimes good things that we just exalt above God. If you haven't read Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods, I think he does one of the best treatments on this idea. And so I think for us, it wouldn't be necessarily bad things. I think they'd be good things that we have made ultimate. So I think if God were to come down today, you know what I think would happen? Our savings accounts, our 401ks, our, our, our Roth IRAs, our everything, we would get home and all of a sudden they'd be zero, zero. 
And some of you in this room are like, that's okay, I'm 23. Kira, what up? You got time. You ain't got no money anyways. <laughs> but some of you are like, no, I'm, I'm trying to retire soon. I've got bills to pay. I've got mouths to feed. And it would just be gone. You know why? Because we worship money. Or, or maybe what would happen is then suddenly, like, our, literally our faces begin melting off. And, and suddenly every time you ate a celery stick, it caused five pounds of weight gain. Yeah, because we worship beauty in a really warped sense. I left my hair down for y'all today so you could understand. I'm not immune. <laughs> I've, I've told y'all this story before, but it's worth telling again. I was in a ministry when I was younger, and this girl was like, you know, you have beautiful hair. And I was like, no. And, uh, and she was like, hey, you should really donate it to Locks of Love. And I, you know, I was like, okay, whatever. And this, this young 17-year-old girl was like, oh, she'd never do that. that that's an idol to her. So I donated it. And you know what I discovered? It's an idol. And so <laughs> this don't go short, okay? It doesn't look good. Now I know most of you are like, I've never seen you out of a ponytail. And that's because the world's not ready for this all the time. But, <laughs> but yeah, for me, honestly, like I, I, I'm not, this is going to sound really bizarre. But like when I think about things like cancer and, and things that could affect you, you know what scares me more about cancer than the dying part is the losing the hair part. Now, God has done a lot for me over the years and that's actually not a fear of mine anymore. But when you are 20 some odd years old and that's a legitimate thought of yours, you begin to learn your immaturity, right? We all have our little idols and I think our culture would be very, very different if God were to come down today and begin revealing the things that we hold ultimate in our lives. And my question is, what if he just came to you though? Like, like what would be that thing? And look, some of you are, are gonna hold on to good things and, and, and you're gonna go, well, of course, if God killed my family, I would be devastated. And that's not what I'm saying. You should be. Typically, our idols are good things. The question is, can you still then look at God and say you're good? That's the question. Are those things more important to you so that if God took them from you, you would no longer follow him? Or would you follow him? And I'm not saying without a, a grieving heart and being broken and absolutely devastated because you should, but that's the question. That's the question. And I, and I wonder for some of us what that is. I'll, I'll tell you, one of mine that I've wrestled with and I've worked really hard on, I went through a region, I guess a year ago. And, and if, for those of y'all have been, you get to your fears inventory and on it, I have fear of abandonment. My father on my first birthday went out for a pack of cigarettes and never came back. I can tell you where that one came from. Um, I have a fear of failure because in my mind, if I failed, people would leave me. And so those are there. And so these are like legitimate fears people have. And then as a 28 year old, I had on there, I have a fear of having a stroke. Now, my mom's had a stroke when she was 19. My aunt's had a stroke. My grandmother had a stroke. We think my great grandfather died because of a stroke. So there's a legitimate family history of strokes that could cause a fear. But you know, it's not the stroke that scares me. Do y'all wanna know when I really, you know what it is? I don't wanna be thought of as dumb. I don't want, oh, I don't want the results of that for me to not be able to do this because it scares me that I might not be intelligent. It scares me that I not be articulate. Because sometimes this gift to me is more important than the God who gave it to me. Now, by the grace of God, I've worked on that and he has freed me from a lot of that. But if I'm being honest, that's an idol for me. That I've got to believe that I am more than my gifts and my God is better than what he gives me. That if I never do this again, God is enough for me. And I believe that. And so I'm just asking you, what are those things that if God were to take it from you today, you'd be real tempted to go, you're not good. You're not good. And I just wanna encourage you as you walk out of here to know that when God begins to take down our idols, it's because he's kind. Because if we worship anything other than him, then it will lead to our destruction. And because he loves us, he removes those things so that we can worship him in spirit and truth.
Let me pray for you guys. Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to use this gift. And Lord, I thank you that you've shown me it's just a gift, that the greater thing in my life is a relationship with you and there's nothing that can change that. God, I can proclaim that you are good and you are kind because you've revealed yourself to me and you've done the same for the women in these rooms. And so Lord, I pray for the gals in here who might have idols in their life. And Lord, I think we all do, that you would begin revealing them to us and dismantling them for us. And then God, I pray that we would just cling to you and we would see you in the way that you deserve to be seen, that you are kind and just and loving and we would anchor ourselves into that truth. So even when our situations and our circumstances change, our belief in your goodness, your kindness and your love does not. And so God, be with their conversations and their small group, allow them to be fruitful. And Lord, allow us to walk out of here today a little more in love with you than when we came in. It's in your son's name, ask these things, amen.